All right, welcome back to Radio Row Hour 2 here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, we are, Anthony, we can skip the fancy not my beat imaging. Uh, I don't think it actually does justice for our next guest because as I told you via text message, Nora Princiati, good friend and uh, ringer staff writer and podcast host, Hello. there's never been a fray, or anyone who has had more of like, this is my Super Bowl Thank than you. you this week. Thank you. I do. I, I agree. Uh, so Nora, obviously, as many of you remember her work for the Washington Times, writing about football. She hosts the Ringer NFL show. Um, but she also hosts a podcast called Every Single Album, where you look at every single album that Taylor Swift has put out. True. And that has launched you into the Taylor Swift universe as a media person as well as a, as a fan. Yeah. I mean, at this point, I've, I've covered the NFL professionally for eight years. I've covered Taylor Swift professionally for four years. I've been you know, deeply interested in her for much longer than that but it is it the fact that the two have collided is so not anything i ever assumed would happen particularly not in this way yes like oh, you oh yeah she's doing super bowl halftime like that would be the sure. collision but no she is uh featured on every single broadcast because she's dating one of the best players in the league and is now seeing her fan base mixed with the nfl fan base Killer that wasn't on, that wasn't on the on the on the, the bingo card the docket. yeah yeah no um, but so I think the best use of our time in terms of a conversation about where all these things intersect is about fandom because the intensity of fandom in the NFL is as intense as any sport in the world. And it is, is a large because like, obviously there are very intense fans of any sport, any team, whatever, but like the number of very intense NFL fans, extremely sure. high. Uh, Taylor Swift is as popular as any pop star, not only in the world now, but as any pop star basically in the world ever. When you think about like, Hardcore NFL fan, hardcore Taylor Swift fan. What are the similarities? Like, what what drives that? The similarities are that it's this intensely felt thing. It's it's very personal to people. I mean, you know, Taylor Swift is is this woman who has, over the course of her career, like she's made this legacy of of kind of like writing the interior lives of her fans into song. And, you know, I, I try to be sort of like a, a, a reasoned and sober fan, but on some level we all feel like she's speaking directly to us. And so it's this relationship with someone who, like, I've never met her. I probably never will meet her. And, and most people are in that position, if, even if they love her. And there's a thing with, with rooting for a sports team where it's like it's, you're so separate from it, but it feels like a part of you. And that that disconnect, you know, it's often at the root of, like, the best parts of fandom and the worst parts of fandom. Yes. Where we get way too carried away or when we get carried away in a way that's just sort of, like, magical and you get to put yourself into something that's not actually a part of you. You find yourself crying because your team wins and all you did was watch on TV. Right. And it's cathartic and it's emotional and it's meaningful and it, it forms bonds between people. I mean, the most fun part of this season for me has just been talking to other people about it just been mm. talking to people who are are enjoying maybe they're enjoying enjoying tuning into a three and a half hour football broadcast but also like maybe they're just liking the memes and that's fine because we're all sort of connected in this thing and like i i love football as a game i love the x's and o's i think it's a beautiful game i think it's fascinating and complicated but football is important to me because it is culture and Taylor Swift is also important to me because she is culture and the things that like connect us as, as people and that sort of connective tissue of life. I just think it's really, really interesting. And, and having it merge like this puts together 
more different swaths of humanity, right, than just doing one by itself or just doing the other by itself. I think another thing that just hit me really hard as you were answering that question, and I think about kind of how I was taught to do this job is can you create like heroes and villains, right? And as a storyteller, <laughs> there's like a heroes and villains element. And the reason it works so well in sports is because it's so clear. Like there, there is not a gray area. Like there's two teams, they're playing, there's a scoreboard right. and one wins and one loses. And you, if you wear burgundy and gold, you hate that blue team from Dallas with all your heart and soul. Right. And even if you're rooting for laundry or, you know, the players change and, you know, Dan Quinn was the Dallas defensive coordinator. Now he's the commander's head coach. I hate that guy. Now I love him because he's mine. Like, there is that clear heroes and villains. And I think when you listen to the way that Taylor writes, I think she's actually that, – that might be, like, one of the superpowers is because of the way she tells the stories in her songs, often many of her own, like – are they more complicated in real life? Maybe. But the way she writes it, I feel like, is very clear, like, hero and villain, to the point that anti-hero, like, that whole sentiment, like, because she kind of even flips it on its head. Right. Well, she's really, I mean, I think the story of her her public persona more than her, like, career as a musician and an artist, but it's it's one of, it's one of choosing foils. And, mm. and the idea of Taylor Swift as underdog has been a very complicated one throughout the years because she came up in a country music ecosystem that had close to no history of accepting someone that young who was also female. And sort of clawing her way into Nashville was genuinely deft and and difficult and there was a lot of her early career where that was sort of the story of like oh my gosh there's this like supernova kid who's doing you know who's taking on like big bad masculine nashville which like that's sort of the country music identity within the music industry then she got more famous and she started to to become a little bit more of a true pop star and it got complicated because she was still sort of writing these these underdog stories and you know she's cheer captain and I'm on the bleachers and I think for a lot of people who were sort of in it from the beginning and also for whom the songs really resonated it made a lot of sense to some people who were a little bit more on the outside of it she was becoming rich and famous beyond her or anyone's wildest dreams she was dating some of the most famous men in the world and the idea that like a high school bully was sort of her was like taking her on. It just right. started to get a little bit incongruent with how people saw her, which I think, I mean, you know, we don't have to get into it, but like when the Kanye West VMAs incident happened, that was why that, like to me, that was why that was such a lightning rod is because you had a lot of people who were like, who the heck is she kidding? Like, she's a victim of this and she's like so surprised even though that's the you know umpteenth award she's won this year and then you know all the fans were like no that's me up there like right. i see myself right being sort of attacked and so there's just sort of this fundamental disconnect to bring it back around i think as she's gotten older and particularly as she's gotten engaged in some of the business dynamics of the music industry and really taking that on i think she's gotten very smart about choosing who the foil is because when she's misstepped, I think it's been underestimating her own power mm. and sort of coming off as punching down because she doesn't hasn't embodied the place that that she's in. I think right now in this era of 
Taylor Swift, she's done a really good job of sort of like understanding the power that that she wields. So in that sense, like the the hero villain antihero, you know, favorite underdog dynamic that is so core to sports, it is really really core um, to her story as an artist, definitely, but especially as someone who we just like consume in public as a celebrity. Nora Princiati is our guest here on the Hoffman Show. Uh, the podcast, NFL, the NFL or the Ringer NFL Show and every single album, no matter which one, uh, which side of this conversation interests you more, she has a podcast for you. I do. I, it's actually interesting to hear you describe that though because, and I'm not just saying this because like she's now associated with the Chiefs because of Travis, but like the Chiefs are the latest example of seeing that same arc. Like they're the underdog story, right? They're they're led by Andy Reid, chronic underachiever in Philadelphia, Patrick Mahomes, who everyone knew was like ridiculously talented, but he wasn't the number one overall pick. It's like, ah, can this Texas Ted right. Texas Tech fling it kid put it together? Uh, Travis Kelsey, third round pick, and like they kind of put it together. Underdogs, everybody loves them. They're going up against Brady uh, right. to to start, and now they got to the point where I feel like we are, especially if they win on Sunday, we are at a mega tipping point with the Chiefs where everyone kind of hates them now. And all they've done is continue to be them. they will, though? Like, that's I, that's a huge question to me because they're not I feel like it's capable. already happening. See, I agree with you. But because this, because the way fandom is is so emotional and it's not rational, I like, I already sense that it's happening. Like, people around here in this zoo of media dorks that we all are, like, people are picking the Chiefs. But the the narrative around Kansas City is now like, oh, they're spoiled or they're this. And all they've done is continue to do the same exact things they've done the I whole time. I find that so slippery, though, because what is it like? Why are they spoiled? You know, with the Patriots, it was so easy. It was Spygate. It was Deflategate. They're cheaters. They hate each other. Brady is like this, you know, becoming this woo-woo guy who doesn't want you to eat strawberries. And, <laughs> and Bill Belichick has never smiled. It's really – Andy Reid is like, here's my cheeseburger recipe. Right. And Patrick Mahomes is like, I have a goofy voice and I never say anything. Right, like, but I think it's – you know, they, they get the commercials and it's the fame. And, you know, they get a bad call in whatever game that was and Mahomes like loses his mind. Right. And, you know, all those things that were admirable about his competitiveness and, you know, all that stuff. And also – Part of it is just the heroes and villains. Like, they've made their rounds of the NFL kicking everyone else's ass. And, like, when the bully has beaten you up enough times, you're like, hey, I don't right. like that guy anymore. Right. I, I, I think you're spot on in terms of the dynamic. To me, it is just a really open question which one of those things happens. Because if they win this game, I think that they are chasing Brady and the Patriots and literally no one else. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the Josh Allen Bills or the Joe Burrow Bengals, it, it's not sort of like, is there a 1B to this era? It's like we sort of understand that everybody is second Yeah, it's the 96 it's, Bulls. Right. It's Jordan or it's to some extent, you know, Brady and the Patriots with a, with a who's going to be the Giants of this era thrown in. I think that's very true. And if that does happen, I will be very curious to see if, like, league-wide people find something to latch onto to hate them with because i just don't know what it like well i mean the part of it too is like and not to be like the sports radio guy who's like well my mom but like i've had my mom is a football fan and like she is one of these people that is just like i want to see someone else win and like there's part of that too this um this idea that like we want to spread the wealth which 
is hilarious because I think if we're in the business, which we are, we know that's actually not true. Like greatness drives ratings and interest. And, you know, d- yes, if Steph Curry and LeBron are playing in the sixth straight NBA finals, eventually th- there is some, like, yes, something new. Um, but I do think part of it is just like, people feel bad for Josh Allen. Like people feel bad for yeah. Joe Burrow. People feel bad and want to see someone else win. And so um, it's funny because like the Niners have been the best team in the NFC the last, what, six years, if you right. take the aggregate, but they are now seen as like, oh, this underdog, go get him. Kyle Shanahan, yeah. you underdog you uh, because of who they're facing. Right. I will say I was very happy to, to hear Mahomes this week he got some sort of underdog question he was just like i i don't really ever think that i'm the underdog which to me is so refreshing because yes. even those like i mean i covered some of those patriots teams and they were so good at twisting themselves in knots being like everybody's counting us out i mean they did it you know look maybe they knew something that everybody didn't because they went on to lose the game but the eagles super bowl they're tom brady's going up against nick Foles, right and they were they were just that entire week they were like we're the, nobody believes in us we're the underdogs it's just it is such an athlete talent so i do have to hand it to mahomes for flipping that on its head a little bit in the middle of the week and just saying like mm, i i sort of think i'm gonna win most games uh who do you think is gonna win the game i do uh, the kansas city chiefs yeah i feel like that is the the, I'm now, I need to come up with a new phrase because I just feel like I'm saying the same thing to every guest now. But it does feel like the, the sliding sentiment of the week is everyone's just like, oh, no, we, we bet against them with Buffalo. We bet against them with Baltimore. And we can't possibly be stupid enough to do that again. I mean, that's me because I, I really owed Chiefs fans an apology because late in the, late in the year, I was so out on them. I, I just really. I mean, after what happened to them in Baltimore, like. I mean, sorry, not in Baltimore. After what happened to them uh, on Christmas Day, same day, against yeah. the Raiders, like, makes sense. Yeah. And it just, you know, statistically, there was something that really ended up being compelling to me, which was just that um, through the end of December, if you looked at the numbers, Mahomes throwing to running backs and tight ends was still Mahomes. You know, it was a top three quarterback. Mahomes throwing to wide receivers was, like, statistically equivalent to mac jones and i was just a, like, a phrase by the way you never want to hear you about never yourself. want to hear it you just never ever ever want to hear statistically equivalent to mac jones it's very bad and i just went you can't win a super bowl like that i'm sorry you just it's not possible i'm done like i'm i'm, I'm not gonna do the thing that i did at the beginning of the season where i picked kansas city until someone proves otherwise I, this is actually the thing that that turns that around, and then they're in the friggin' Super Bowl. So right. I'm just like, all of right. Of course, um, I think there was a stat. Whatever the last game that MVS dropped the ball was it Packers maybe uh, that they had the the no call PI oh, situation. Yes. I think it was after that game. That was the fourth time that a game winning pass had or potential game winning pass had hit a receiver in the hands and fall into the turf, yeah, which is just bananas. And you're literally just going, if literally they're wide receivers, receivers in the name, could catch the football, this would be one of the best teams in the NFL. And fortunately for them, like, Rashi Rice has learned how to catch, and MVS makes a huge catch in one of the playoff games. Like, it, it really, for all of the problems that it seemed like they had, it really kind of came down to the fact that their receivers couldn't catch the ball, and now suddenly they are. Well, and also, in the fact that they had continued to try to incorporate those guys, right? Where pretty late in the year and they'd had the issues, they still, you know, Kadarius Tony was getting some meaningful snaps. And 
uh, Mecole Hardman was getting carries near the goal line, and, and it wasn't working out. I was just going, like, geez, like, if, if these players have to be getting the ball in high-leverage situations, I don't trust this team. What they've done, which it's sort of in hindsight seems so obvious, but in the moment it seems like, well, you can't get away with that. They've eliminated those players from the offense. Right. It's Travis Kelsey, it's Rasheed Rice, it's Isaiah Pacheco, it's Mahomes scrambling, and that's that's what we do. Yeah, I and mean. That, it's just, that's it. By the way, what a wacky bit that Eric Bieniemy was in the locker room the other day. Yeah. That's that's tampering. He was under contract with, with the commanders. Well, but, so I, I saw a story in the Washington Post, I think, that published even just a couple hours ago that, okay. that allegedly they gave him permission. Okay, that would um, make a lot of sense. I know Nikki was working on that. Yeah, yeah. So I think that went up this afternoon, and it, it did... It's funny because it wasn't. I guess Eb wasn't super confident he was getting the head coaching job. Well, so here. that's that's what it that's what she wrote in the story, and there wasn't sourcing attributed to it. So I wonder exactly where that information is coming from. Although, obviously, like, like yeah, I we're not second guessing Nikki. Yeah, this is just sort of like journalism hat on. Yeah. Um, but it, yeah, it was that once it was sort of clear that he wasn't getting a job and that he was going to be on his way out there, um, they granted him permission to do it. That is interesting, just because. The, the job stuff was not wrapped up by then. No. No. But to me, that indicates that they, they knew what was going on with him close to two weeks ago, which is just a little bit of an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, there's a uh, coaching search that had way too many wrinkles. I'll put it that way. Uh, enough wrinkles for us all. Uh, Nora Princiati, uh, what are you working on for, like, are you writing something this week? Are you just doing pods? Like, what's, what's your week look like? Yeah, so I have a story um, just sort of about – how Taylor is, has influenced the NFL ecosystem that's up on the ringer.com now. Um, and tons of pods. I did the press box pod with Brian Curtis oh. today. Ringer NFL. Brian show, who was on always. the show earlier today. No way. Yeah. Brian wow. Curtis, longtime friend. Good Bri- dude. Brian Curtis. Excellent people. Yes. Um, and I'm surprised to hear you say that even though, well, I'm, I'm not actually, but Cowboys <laughs> noted Cowboys fan. Brian yes. Curtis. No, he says it every time he's on the show. I'm like, Brian, do you trying to make the audience hate you? <laughs> what, what are you doing? That's sort of impossible. He's like the nicest guy ever. I know. Um, but TheRinger.com, every single album, The Ringer NFL Show, bang, Radio bang. Row. There you go. That's Nora Princiati. Uh, when we get back, uh, let's play our interview with Mike Loxley from a little earlier today. The Maryland coach joins us next here on the Team 980.